Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Up to this point in Matthew's Gospel, um, Jesus has been in Nazareth. Now he's gone down and he's visited um, Jerusalem. We say going down because it's south of Nazareth. Of course, in the uh, Bible, it's always called going up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is on a hill. Uh, But Jesus uh, and his family, since they uh, went into Egypt and came out of Egypt on the death of Herod when it was safe for the family to return, have been in the town of Nazareth. Now we know that Jews in that day uh, would travel frequently to Jerusalem for uh, temple worship. Indeed, we remember the story about Jesus when he was 12, being found in the temple, uh, speaking with the, uh, with the scribes and the Pharisees and being able to astonish them with his learning. And last week in John's Gospel, we hear that uh, Jesus was uh, beyond the Jordan in Bethany, not the same Bethany as Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived in, which was just by Jerusalem, just outside of Jerusalem, but Bethany um, to the east of the Jordan, because that's where John the Baptist, uh, Jesus' cousin, has been baptizing. And so, but this story, this time, we hear that um, news has come to him that John, his cousin, John the Baptist, has been imprisoned. And that seems to be the catalyst for him to move out of Nazareth. And so he moves to Capernaum, which is um, just a little bit north and east. It's on the shore of Galilee. Remember that, maybe to put this in context, the entire country of Israel fits very comfortably in Lake Michigan. Um, It's that size. And so it's, um, you know, the state of Florida is almost eight times larger than the entire country of Israel. And back then, of course, everybody's pretty much traveling on foot or by donkey. And so when Jesus is going from Nazareth down to um, where John was baptizing, it was anywhere, or to Jerusalem, it was anywhere, depending on the time of year and the route that was taken, two to five days traveling by foot. And Capernaum is maybe uh, 10 to 12 hours by foot away from Nazareth. So he goes uh, to that part of Galilee. And you'll notice from the readings, because we have the reading from the prophet Isaiah first of all, and you will have heard Zebulun and Naphtali uh, spoken quite a few times already this morning, because it's spoken of in the word of the prophet Isaiah in that reading, but it is also repeated in the gospel reading, because uh, this fulfills the prophecy that those who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Uh, Remember last week I said we're in this season of epiphany, of the manifestation of the divine, of the shining forth of the light of Christ. And so Christ's light is moving from Nazareth 
to Capernaum, and, and Jesus makes this the center of his ministry, really. He goes back there um, oftentimes. Don't know where he's staying, have no idea where he was in Capernaum, but at this point, the story picks up, and he's walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. This is evidently where Andrew and Peter live and are fishermen, and it is also evidently where James and John, the sons of Zebedee, also live, who are also fishermen. Um, so they each have this fishing industry going on. I'm sure they, you know, they knew each other if they weren't related to each other. And Jesus, walking along, calls these, uh, these four, these two sets of brothers. And what I noticed straight away about that is this word, immediately. He calls them... They're mending, one set of brothers are mending nets. The other set of brothers are throwing nets for fishing. And he calls them to follow him. And they immediately lay down what they're doing and follow him. And I think, what must the person of Jesus have been like? that you would immediately leave everything and follow him. What a magnetic personality. What, what words of life was he saying that drew people that all of that now seemed dross in comparison to the gold of following Jesus. But you see, he's the same today as he was walking on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he calls, and he has called, each and every one of us. Everyone here has heard his call, or you wouldn't be here. He has called you to himself. We have each been called by the Saviour to follow him. That's why that song that we just sang is so pertinent for today. Will we follow him when he calls? Out of all of the cares of our life, he calls each and every one. And notice this from the story too. This is an old adage. Many of you will have heard it. God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. Say that again. He does not call the equipped. He equips those he calls. They were simple fishermen. They were not high academics. They did not know how to exegete passages in scripture. They were simple fishermen and he said I will make you fishers of men that's not in your own original power but God can equip anyone whom he calls and he calls everyone he does the equipping it's not unique for this call so many times in scripture we see this Gideon God calls Gideon, he says, but I'm, I'm really small, and I come from the smallest clan. 
matters. It doesn't matter. And what does he do? He goes out with a small band and overcomes the enemy. He calls Moses. Moses says, I can't talk. He says, that's all right. I'll have Aaron talk for you. He calls David, the least of all of the brothers, out in the fields caring for the sheep and makes him a king. He calls Esther, who's an orphaned Jewish girl in captivity in a foreign land and equips her. He calls Rahab a prostitute and equips her. He calls Paul, who in today's terminology we might even call a radicalized terrorist, changes his heart and equips him. He calls Ruth a young Moabite woman. And the stories go on and on. They are not equipped in and of themselves, but when God calls, he does the equipping. And so we can never say, I am too feeble, I am too old, I am too young, I don't know enough, I don't have enough resources. There are no excuses. Moses tried it. Gideon tried it. If God is calling, and he does call everyone, then he equips, and we do not need to worry if we are going where he calls us to go. And that's the challenge. We need to know the path in prayer and discernment of where he would have us go. He calls simple fishermen into community around him. Christianity never was from the beginning a solitary religion. If somebody says to you, well, I'm spiritual and I don't need to go to church, you can say, well, Jesus needed a community around him because the first thing that he did when he entered into his ministry after he had spent some time in prayer in the desert, was to call people around him into community. He started off with two sets of brothers and went on from there to call twelve. And of those twelve, he had three with whom he shared some other things that he didn't share with all of the others. There is no such thing as a solitary Christian. We are only Christians in community. Jesus calls us into a community. And then in that community, he disciples us. He teaches us in the way to go, in the way to deepen our relationship with him. It's what he did with the disciples. He calls them from fishing these four, and they spend three years together as he teaches them because he knows that his light is going to be carried forward by them. He will leave. And so he spends three years equipping them, encouraging them, reprimanding them, getting terribly frustrated with them at times, 
teaching them when they don't understand. And then, as a good teacher, as a good leader always does, he sends them out. Just try this for yourself in my power. So he sends them out to preach the word and to heal. And they come back, it worked! (laughs) We saw Satan fall! So he sends them out and then they come back and they talk about that. How was that? See, he spends the time teaching them and then he sends them out. See, we're never just called into this relationship with Jesus to stay comfortably where we are. There is a season in which he trains us up. But if we keep staying, just being trained and trained and trained and trained, then we get stagnant. I was reading uh, the blog of one of the uh, seminary professors at Asbury, and, and, and he wrote this, and it really just caught my attention. The gospel always comes to us on its way, to someone else. The gospel always comes to us on its way to someone else. There's a time to move from being followers to being leaders, from being ministered to, to the work of ministry itself. And that's always the cycle. It's not that it's linear, because at times we need to go back into discipleship again, to move out into ministry, and to move back into discipleship again, and to move out into ministry. It's an ongoing thing. We, just, we don't automatically go in a linear, we go in a cyclical progression. But if we're called... And there really isn't an if. We have each and every single one of us been called by Jesus. Have we let go of the nets? Have we let go of those things that would pull us back away from completely following the Lord? Because he will set about the work of training us up. And then he'll kind of send us out for a little bit and pull us back in again, and then send us out, and then train us up, and send us out. And he's equipped everybody. Every single person that he calls, he equips. Paul says this in Ephesians, we've all been given gifts. Every single one of us have been given gifts by God for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. Are we willing to get out of the cocoon and to go? For the gospel doesn't just come to us for us. It comes to us on its way to someone else. It's always a gospel that's going out because the good news is not just for the community. It's for those who he's calling and he's using us to call back in again as well. It's what the collect says. Give us grace, O Lord, 
to answer readily the call of our Saviour Jesus Christ and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvellous works, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. May we be a called and a sent people. May we always be ready, as Peter says, to give an account of the hope that is within us. Can you give an account of the hope that is within you? It doesn't mean standing at the roadside with a placard saying Jesus saves. It doesn't mean putting on a clown uh, a wig and standing behind the golfers at the tees saying Jesus saves. It means being able to give an account of the hope that is within you. Because Jesus has called you out of darkness into his glorious light. He has given you a hope and a future to eternity. He has reconciled you to God for eternity. And we are to share that hope. The gospel has to move from us to those so in need of hearing its word of hope. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.